following program is paid programming. The views expressed on the following program are those of its hosts and participants, and nowhere reflect those of the ownership, staff, or advertisers of WNRI. Well, it's one for the money, two for the show, three to get ready, now go don't you? Christmas to all. Should have had Elvis's um, Blue Blue Christmas. But uh, I'll stick with the usual intro there. And um, I'm going to go light today. You know, we've got Christmas coming up. There's always all sorts of, of politics going on. And it's nice to forget about the world for a little while and, and relax, you know. Not that the world ever forgets about you. You know, it's like, you know, when World War II got started for us, the Japanese bombed us on Sunday, the day of rest. And in 1940, a lot more people took took uh, the Lord's Day much more seriously. They hit us on a day we weren't ready for it. We weren't expecting it. So... Always keep your eyes open. Always have your head on a swivel because you never know what's going to happen. But it is good to take time off and acknowledge God, acknowledge Jesus Christ, and uh, enjoy the season. And so I'm going to start off with a, uh, a fun uh, piece that I did. It's about the stars and um, Jesus Christ. Uh, I, I call it Jesus' birth. Is it foretold in the stars? So we shall give this a play, and I hope you enjoy it. You know, I spent a lot of time on it, so here we go. Imagine, if you can, that you're a time traveler. You travel back to ancient Rome in the time of the infamous Nero, around 64 AD. You find yourself exiled to the penal colony of Patmos. 
a rocky island in the Aegean Sea that the Romans used for criminals and exiles whom they did not crucify. The guards push you off the transport and purposely trip you as you faceplant into the sand and rocks as they laugh at your misery. One guard unties your hands and you stand up, wipe the gravelly sand off your face. Patmos is a barren outcrop with sparse vegetation and few people. An inhabitant walks close to you, trying not to smirk at the typical roughing up from the guards of the new inhabitants as they arrive. He is a scribe by profession, a learned one, and he tries to console the new arrival. He has just copied a long letter written by a holy man, and he talks to the new prisoner. Well, let the writer explain. Hello, stranger. I'm Apelles, the scribe. I come from Galatia, lately Ephesus, where my friends, or I thought they were my friends, had me exiled to this island. <laughs> What's that? We're friends like that who needs enemies. Quite right. Stick with me. I'll tell you who you can trust and who you need to fear, besides the guards. <laughs> Why can you trust me? <laughs> smart, very smart. There is one person on this island who you can trust, though. John from Galilee. He's one of those Christins. <laughs> but this John is a kind old man. He cares about everybody, even the guards. He told me to give you this robe that you're wrapped in. How'd he know you'd need it? Pfft, lucky guess. What's that? Yeah, you're right. These Christians have been stirring up the empire. And then again, maybe it needs stirring up. When I told him that I was a scribe, he said, Good, I have a letter I want you to make copies of. Who's he going to send them to? <laughs> Good question. Like the guards would send them off in their posts. But it was a strange and mysterious letter he had me write, filled with horrors, hordes of locusts flying around with torturous scorpion stingers, swarming people, wild horsemen riding furiously, spreading death, destruction, and judgment upon the earth. Then, a new day, one of no more death, sickness, or tears. But do you know what he's been talking about lately? He claimed that his Lord... Jesus Christ was written about in the stars that you can even point to the day of his birth in the heavens. Can you believe it? <laughs> the scroll is hidden over the hill in the workhouse there for safekeeping. Come, let me show it to you. Here, um, here it is, and let me unroll this thing. It reads... And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she, being great with child, travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered 
for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she had the place prepared of God that they should feed her there two thousand two hundred and threescore days. Later I went to the old man and asked him what was the sign of the woman? When did you see it? How? Why didn't anyone else know? So many questions, John replied. There were many signs pointing to the birth of the Lord, but so few understood. Only the wise men from the east and a few villagers and shepherds knew of the birth of the king of Israel. Even Herod and all of Jerusalem were ignorant of his birth, he said. Yes, but what about the woman in the sky? I pressed him. It's simple, my dear Apelles, he replied. What heavenly sign is there of a woman? Virgo, I said. That's the only sign of a woman. That's right, John says. What about the twelve stars around her, I asked. That is the zodiac. So I asked, what about the sun and the moon? John replied, that is just the sun going through the constellation of Virgo, and the moon is simply the moon under her feet. And all this occurred in the stars in the evening of September 11th of the 24th year of Caesar Augustus. And the 24th year of Caesar Augustus would be 3 B.C. You can see that in the video that I've got of that. So September 11th, 3 B.C. is the date that if you plot out what's in um, in Revelation and you have to have that uh, you know, in concurrence with uh, what Josephus, a historian, writes about the death of Herod, you come with the year 3 B.C. And if you look at Virgo in the year 3 B.C., uh, the only time that the sun would be going through the body of the constellation with the moon at her feet would be September 11th. It's amazing to think that you can calculate the uh, stars forward and backwards like that. And it's also amazing that it's recorded that that is the um, the birthday of Jesus Christ. Amazing, huh? I was listening to a, a, a tape uh, over the weekend. And it, it, actually, it was uh, Wednesday. Um, and Revelation Red Pill by the Resistance Chicks. Anyhow, they had some guy on there that was talking about astronomy. Not astrology, but astronomy. In, in the Bible and a lot of what had to do with Jesus's star you know the star Bethlehem uh, is Jupiter in conjunction with other stars but there's a funny thing about Jupiter is it does a thing that's called retrograde motion that means it goes 
back or appears to go backwards. You know, the Earth goes through our orbit a lot faster than than uh, Jupiter does. In fact, Jupiter <laughs> is going to be in the in the sky tonight. It's going to be uh, close, I think, in conjunction with the moon. Uh, what does that little symbol mean? Let's see. Yep, conjunction with the moon. So Jupiter and the moon should be very close tonight. Tomorrow, you... I'm looking at December, yeah. I thought there was something with Venus and... And Mars. Oh, that's on uh, the 27th. Um, no, Mars and um, and Mercury. Ooh, that could be a bad day. <laughs> the warrior planet and the, the messenger planet. Hmm. See, these are just meanings. And Jupiter is the king planet. <coughs> king planet, by the way. So that's why it figures... As part of the um, star of Bethlehem. So it's really, it's fascinating to think that, that God had these things written, preordained in the skies already. And, um, you know, it, it gives you a deeper uh, respect a more profound respect for God and how he made creation. No, sorry, it wasn't evolution. The earth was created. So, (laughs) I'm just going to keep on having some fun. The next thing I've got is my favorite Christmas song. I didn't say Christmas carol, I said Christmas song. Well, I've, I've got two favorites, but this, this is the one I'll play for now. Ignored all of its men And called on Snoopy To do it again Was the night before Christmas Forty below When Snoopy went up In search of his foe Despite the Red Baron Fiercely they fought With ice on his wings Snoopy knew it was caught He reached for the trigger to pull it up tight Why he didn't shoot, well, we'll never know Or was it the bells from the village below?
forced him to land behind the enemy lines. Snoopy was certain that this was the end when the Baron cried out, Merry Christmas, my friend! toast and snoopy our hero saluted his host and then with a roar they were both on their way each knowing they'd meet on some other day Okay, so there you go. That's one of my favorite uh, Christmas songs. The other one being Santa Baby. And uh, I'm not going to play that tonight. Don't worry. <laughs> Eartha Kitt. You know, um, I guess Madonna's done that too. But it's it's just it it just shows the the uh, materialism of Christmas. But anyhow, the thing that I like about this song. And you may think it's goofy, it's Snoopy and the Red Baron, you know, a cartoon character, and, uh, you know, they're, they're avid enemies, and, you know, they're fighting dog fights, and the uh, Red Baron doesn't kill Snoopy when he's got the chance. Instead, he just forces him down, and, you know, because he hears the Christmas bells, and then they, they ha- have, a, you know bottle of champagne, have a couple of drinks, and then fly fly off, and they know they're going to meet again later, some other day. And, you know, you, you can write that off as just a goofy, fun little song, or, you know, part of the Charlie Brown Christmas show. But, something like that did really happen. There's a Christmas movie that you should get. It's not going to be on anyone's top ten list, though it should. It's called uh, Joyous Noel. It's actually, it starts off in French with subtitles. Joyeux Noel. And it's about when peace broke out in World War One. I think it's a... Uh, the first year of the war, uh, it wasn't even a year old yet. It was Christmas of 1914. And everyone was figuring that it was going to be a short war, started in August, and it would be over by Christmas. And, of course, they were wrong. It would go on for four years. But um, there was this guy. He was a, a, an opera singer and... Um, he, he was in, he was a German, so he was in the German trenches, and just for entertainment, on Christmas Eve, he breaks out into singing, um, uh, Silent Night, and of course he's singing it in, in German. Oh, didn't Paul Manville sing that last night? <laughs> Don't worry, I'm not gonna try to, <laughs> to do it, either in German 
or in in uh, American in English. Um, but this guy breaks out into song and he's singing to the other troops there in in the uh, in the trench. Now the trenches were were fairly close to each other, at least at this time of the war, and so the people in the English trench were hearing the uh, the the Germans sing Silent Night, and even though it was in German, they understood the the you know the song perfectly. They start singing Silent Night in return, so then. You've got one side singing to to the other side. They're singing back and forth. And eventually, the guy that started the singing, he climbs out of his trench with uh, a Christmas tree in his hand. You know, it was a small one. And it had candles on it. You know, we're talking 1914. There was electricity then, but, you know, not in the trenches. That's for sure. And he starts walking into no man's land. And, you know, at, at first, his, his other brother Germans are, are, you know, scared to death for him. But he just keeps walking further out into no man's land and further out. And eventually, one of the uh, Englishmen goes over the top, you know, no gun in hand, and goes out to meet him. And, the, the, you know, still singing and stuff. And eventually, more and more guys start coming out until both trenches emptied out. Actually, I think there was a trench of Frenchmen, too, that didn't really want to get involved in that too much. But, uh, you know, eventually they join in as well. But there was an undeclared truce, an undeclared peace on that, that Christmas day, and it, it's really cool. They, they exchange gifts with each. Um, they exchange cigarettes, or you know, like a slice of of candy from home, or you know, they, they're they're swapping out their their hats and their helmets. You know, I mean, the Germans did have a cool helmet with that that spike up at the top, pickle house or whatever they called it. It looks kind of weird, but it looks kind of cool at the same time, you know? Uh, they got rid of it pretty soon through the war, went to the metal helmets. Anyhow, so peace broke out in this thing. And the movie shows them playing a soccer game uh, the next morning, you know, when dawn breaks. And some people say there was no soccer game, but, you know, there, there probably was. I mean, playing soccer was as normal to them as playing football in, in the wintertime would be to us Americans. And, you know, they're just having a great time uh, talking about their girlfriends back at home or their wife and how much they want to get back there. They hope that the war is over soon. And all this sort of stuff, the, the fraternizing with the enemy is what both sides are doing, which is what is amazing about it. And um doesn't last too long, unfortunately. But the thing is, both sides wrote back back to the, 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 their wives and their girlfriends 
to the families and said, wow, this was so great. We had such a wonderful time. You know, uh, I learned more about these uh, Germans or these English than I knew before. You know, all this sort of stuff. And like the hatred for the enemy is like melting away, <laughs> like, uh, you know, a, a snowman when the temperature gets too high. And uh, the movie does have a sad part because when the censors saw the, the letters, because all the letters they sent back, whether on the English side or the German side, had to go through the censors, you know, so they they wouldn't give out troop, excuse me, troop movements or where they are or what the next plans might be. So they got the letters and they saw that these guys on both sides are saying, hey, these Brits aren't so bad. Hey, these Germans aren't so bad. You know, maybe we should calling into this thing and the powers that be couldn't have that so you you have these scenes where the generals are drilling into the heads of these people and especially the the newer recruits that come up and say these people are evil you have nothing in common with them they they are dogs you must kill you must kill <laughs> do not get, spare them anything do not spare their lives. Take their lives. Kind of like what we've been hearing between Israel and Hamas lately, huh? Yeah. Funny how war works that way. Um, you know, but... Uh, <laughs> and in the movie, there's even some guy like uh, the Archbishop of Canterbury. or uh, Maybe he's not that high up in the church. But he was saying these, um, you know, talking to a bunch of English people about the Germans saying you have nothing in common at all with the Huns. You know, they must be killed. They must be be destroyed. When, of course, it was a Christian hymn that they both knew and recognized. And, um, you know, it's it's just incredible. You know, Uh, so... Just like Snoopy and the Red Baron realized they're going to meet on another day. These guys had a couple of days off, or maybe it was only just 24 hours from uh, killing each other. And had a little respite, and then went back to the war. But it's still a great movie. You should see it because of the depth of the meaning of it. And it's only 10 minutes of, of subtitles. Then they switch over to English. For the, for the American audience, you know, but uh, great movie. Joyous uh, Noel, all right. It's actually Joya Noel, but you know, it's it's good. Anyhow, looks like I got a call on this one, so let's see. Good caller, what you thinking about? Good evening, Jim. Merry Christmas to you, my friend. Merry Christmas. You like the Snoopy you know, song? You really perked up my ears a little bit with that uh, Star of Bethlehem thing, and you're talking about astronomy. Not, I'm not a, an, a not an astrologer. I don't believe that stuff, but astronomy. And I've been I've been really digging into this because I'm big on astronomy. Good. And I've often wondered about the Star of Bethlehem. Yes. 
something in the sky happened that night, and it's something that's totally unique that we're still talking about today. And there's three possible scenarios that I've come up with. Not me, personally. I've read the studies and, and reports and all that. Yeah. The, the first one is it's a supernova. Here's a, you know, this, this star exploded. Here's the supernova to prove it. No, no, it doesn't, it, it doesn't really match the time frame, you know, how science is. They can supposedly can, you know, measure time and all that. Well, that didn't, they, they threw that one out. The second one was a conjunction. That's when the yeah. planets kind of meet together in the sky. Yep, yep. Uh, one happened in the year 5 B.C. This was when Jupiter and Saturn, and around the 5 or 3 B.C., it's about the time Jesus was born. Yeah. Um, the first one happened in 5 B.C. That was when Jupiter and Saturn uh, got together. Yep. That was a double conjunction. Jupiter at the time was closer to the sun, so it would have been brighter, but it didn't really match up with the, you know, it didn't really match up with things. But the third, um, the third scenario is probably the most um, convincing to me. And uh, it kind of lines up with the, with the uh, a date that Jesus may have been born. Do I believe Jesus was born on December 25th? Well, there's some indication in the Bible he wasn't because, you know, the weather, uh, the climate this time of year is the same in Bethlehem that we have here in New England. Would you be tending your sheep in a flock by night? I don't think so. No, You'd be in a barn somewhere. Exactly. So, Neither were okay. the shepherds. Yeah. Here, here is the, uh, the theory that I came up with. Well, not me, but based on what I've seen. This started to occur on the morning of August 12th. In the year 3 B.C., Jupiter and Venus began its conjunction. Now, Venus is very, very, it, it's kind of low on the horizon, but it's still up there before it, it uh, you know, goes over the horizon. And Jupiter, also a bright, bright planet, came together, and it started, they did do this dance, you know, cause, yep. you know, it's like a NASCAR going around the track, you know, they dance around, well, plants do the same thing. And it wasn't until... The, um, we didn't have we had actually another one back in December of 2020 that was no that was the uh, I'm sorry uh, let me correct myself that was Jupiter and Saturn not Venus but um, they did their uh, dance starting in August 12th okay and yep. they got together and they were like within 10 degrees apart now degrees you know when you're looking at an object in the sky 10 degrees isn't much you know, I mean, it's like you're looking at it with the naked eye. If you see it in a telescope or something, then it you can tell the difference. Yeah. I was there in Bethlehem that day, and I saw the, uh, you know, I saw it in the sky, you know, that star, and I would be looking at it through a telescope. You could see two separate objects. But to the but naked, naked eye, eye, it looks like they're joining. It would be a very bright, large object. Yep. The only conclusion I could um, come up with this, God was in control that night. Because this is not something that we've been seen since. And you, in the Bible, God created the heavens, heavens, plural, heaven, uh, you know, and the earth. He created the earth. He created heavens. That, that's what we, the sky we look at, the, the galaxies and the stars and the planets and all that. He created all that stuff. And he's in control. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> 
There is no way. They were, you know, Jupiter and Venus were in one-tenth of a degree. No, I'm sorry. You know, one-tenth of a degree. I said ten-tenth of a degree. No, within one-tenth of a degree. You can't get any more precision than that. Yeah, and Jupiter would be bright just because it's the biggest planet. And uh, Venus, because it's the closest one to us, is also bright because of its proximity. Well, uh, putting them both together, it would have been one-fifth the brightness of the diameter of the full moon. That's how bright it is. I mean, when you go out and you look at the full moon, you can actually read by it sometimes. It casts shadows. Yeah. Well, one-fifth of that diameter doesn't sound like much. But when you're out in pitch blackness like Mary and Joseph were that night, that would have been really bright. So... They did have a star, literally, and God put that <laughs> star up there. You know what, Venus, you go here tonight. Jupiter, you go here tonight. Party on. Jo- uh, Mary, go here. <laughs> and, and that was it. The end of the story. Jesus was born, and thank the good, uh, thank God for that, because um, we wouldn't have salvation today if it wasn't for that event. That's and, right. Well, the other event, too, you know, with this crucifixion, the sad event, but... Everything had to be, everything was done for a purpose, you know, and, and these atheists, they come up and they tell me, it, they, they bellow to me more about how God doesn't exist, and I don't have to say a word about God existing, because I just say, just take a look around you, just read the Bible, just read, you know, and take a look around you, and if you don't believe God doesn't exist after what you see and read, and I don't know what else to tell you, you know? Yeah, t- take a walk in nature, you know, and... I know so, some people are surrounded by nature and they still refuse to believe. But that's free will. But look, well, you, know, who, you can look at well, nature, who, you can look at the stars. And um, there, there's a lot of so-called light pollution that we don't see the stars that often. But um, when you get the opportunity, get in an open field, if you're out on a boat, out on, you know, in the water, look up there. And uh, you'll be amazed at no, at this, you know, all the, the stars. The last time I, uh, you know, my when my sister lived in Maine, she lived out in this house that you know was in the middle of nowhere in the Maine woods. Yep. And it was pitch black, and I swear the mosquitoes ate me alive that night. But I stayed out there, and I looked up in the night sky, and I'm like, wow, you know, I mean, it was like being in space. You know, it was just just a beautiful view yeah and you know and we and miss that I, because of light pollution i hate that term but it's true and um you know just a lot of it the the trees or our buildings will block out the uh, the sky you know so but if you go to yeah. some place like montana or maine or wyoming you know big sky country and yeah, you know, it's a, it's an amazing show. Yeah, have you ever wondered why the people who you know make more songs about God come from Montana? You know, <laughs> they they know what it looks like. We don't have that luxury in the city, like you know. They, they uh, see his handiwork own, more easily. Yeah, you you, you own a, a telescope in let's say Woonsocket or Providence. You know, it's worthless. You know, the only thing you're gonna look at is the moon. That's the brightest thing in the sky, but. If you're out, you go out, you know, to either Montana or the backwoods of Maine somewhere, and you just bring a simple pair of binoculars with you. Yep. 
you're going to be, your jaw, I don't care how many mosquitoes are eating you alive, you're going to be sitting out there for a while. <laughs> and by the time you're done, you're going to have a bunch of welts on your body, but I'm going to tell you, you're going to get some magnificent views. Yeah. And um, thank God for it, you know. And uh, Indeed. Well, I, I hope uh, I hope that explains the star of Bethlehem. Uh, it definitely was an astronomical event. And, yes. You know, and one that we're still talking about I believe about so. Today. But it's, um, you know, it was certainly one that I believe was uh, controlled by God. And yep. you cannot convince me otherwise. Yeah, well, it's written about there in uh, Revelation of all places. Okay, but yeah. I got I got to go to uh, my commercials. I'm, I'm running along in the first half of the show, but thank you for that call. You're welcome, Jim. And, and uh, Merry again, Christmas. And Happy New Year to you. Excellent. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye. Take care. Bye. All right, so let's see. 40 minutes into the show already. So let's take a break here and do some commercials. The United States of Empire by James Dunn shows how the U.S. became a worldwide empire. It looks at the entry of the U.S. into both world wars. George Washington had warned us about entangling ourselves in European wars. Before World War I, the United States was not concerned with foreign conflicts. In World War I, we changed the balance of power in Europe. We went in to save the world for democracy. We expelled the German Kaiser and imposed our own idea of what Germany should look like. Propaganda painted the Kaiser as the evil Hun that was destroying civilization. So when the true barbarian rose to power, Hitler, how could we avoid being drawn in again? We saved Great Britain. Britain needed us again in World War II to save their bacon. We bought the hog. Now we are the empire. The book, The United States of Empire, in paperback, is available at Amazon.com. Here's author James Dunn to talk about his soon-to-be-printed next book. The King Philip's War in New England in 1675 defined the relations, for good or bad, between English settlers and Native Americans for centuries to come. Many of the battles are local to the Blackstone Providence area with long-forgotten memorials and grave sites. Smithfield was the Battle of Nipsichuk. The Battle of Sudbury in Sudbury, Mass. was a turning point. Mount Hope in Bristol, Rhode Island was the home of King Philip and the Wampanoag tribe. The Connecticut River Valley was a scene of many bloody encounters between the English and the Nipmuc tribe. South Kingston, Rhode Island, saw the Great Swamp Battle slash Massacre. One Englishman stands out in this brutal conflict. He dared to learn to fight like the Indians did and won the war for the English. He was Captain Benjamin Church in the book, Captain Benjamin Church and the King Philip's War. Oops, that's not good. Dead air.
Music in the USA. Linda Ronstadt and Chuck Berry. Hey, I, I played my Christmas songs I've got on the list, so... <laughs> that, that was an upbeat thing, so I think I'll go with it. Oh, before I move on from the uh, astronomical uh, proofs of Jesus' birth... Um, I don't know if I finished my thought about uh, retrograde motion. That's when it looks like Jupiter is moving backwards. It it loops sometimes. And that's part of the process of Jupiter moving through the skies. When it ends the loop and starts going in the opposite direction, it appears to stop. So that is when it could have been standing over the town of Bethlehem when it, it it loops not a perfect circle more like an ellipse and it's starting to go into the opposite direction it appears to stand still and that happened uh, one of the things I saw happened on December 25th 2 BC so that could be when the Magi showed up. But, um, you know, <laughs> Reverend Jim's got his opinion, and me, <laughs> the, the, the right Reverend Jim, <laughs> whatever, uh, has got my opinion. But he's in the sky. Anyhow, I've got this thing here. Santa Claus names in Eastern Europe. Uh, this is just traditions from uh, Europe because Santa Claus you know, the whole Santa Claus thing which is from St. Nicholas is a European tradition because if you look on a globe you'll see that Europe is very close to uh, to the uh, to the Arctic um, more so than southern countries would be to the Antarctic. And, of course, St. Nicholas was a uh, saint, a bishop in uh, in Turkey, I believe is where he came from. And he just got famous all across Europe. Anyhow, let's see. The Russians have a name for Santa Claus. He is Dead Moroz. Grandfather Frost, D-E-D. I guess kind of like Dad, I don't know. Let's see. Uh, the Russian Santa, Dead Moroz, or Grandfather Frost, is a stately older gentleman who is accompanied by a beautiful snow maiden named Snegorochja. With a name like that, you better be beautiful. <laughs> and they make their home in Russia's north. Viliki Ustayug. I know, no one wants to talk nice about the Russians right now, but hey, that's part of European tradition. Let's see, the Czech Santa Claus. Uh, his name would be Zvate Nicholas, which just means St. Nicholas in the Czech language. And then there's Jesek, Jesek, <laughs> which would be Baby Jesus. <clears throat> the, the Czech Santa, St. Nicholas, visits children on St. Nicholas's Eve, and actors take to the streets to pass out sweet. 
baby Jesus, who lives in the Czech mountains, visits on Christmas Eve and magically decorates a tree and leaves gifts for children. Hmm. Interesting. There's Hungry's Santa Claus, and this would be, this is a similar name, uh, Nicholas for Nicholas, and then there's uh, Telapo, Old Man Winter, and similar name for Baby Jesus, Jezuka, or Kiss Jesus, K-I-S, and Jesus spelled with a Z in the middle. Let's see, Hungry Santa, um, Nicholas is Hungry Answer to St. Nicholas. Okay, then same, same stuff. Croatia, let's see if there's anything different in Croatia. Let's see. The name for St. Nicholas would be Zvete Nikola. Grandfather Frost is here. Dejid Maraz. And there's a Grandfather Christmas as well. Dejid Boziknijek. That's a Zvek Nikola Phil's Shoes, which treats on St. Nicholas Eve's. Dijet Maraz is responsible for delivering gifts on Christmas Eve. And uh, Croatian children may also receive gifts on St. Lucy's Day. I don't know what St. Lucy's Day is. This doesn't explain that. But um, very, very interesting things. Interesting in how similar... All these countries are in their traditions, kind of like, you know, there was such a similarity between the English and the Germans. And, <laughs> and once they stopped fighting, they realized, hey, <laughs> we're pretty similar. And technically, they would have been brothers in Christ, uh, recognizing that hymn and coming out and not fighting each other for a while. Let's see. That was the same thing. Let's see. Ten European traditions you may not know about Christmas. Don't have time for this thing. But, oh, I've got some fun stuff here. <laughs> From the Babylon Bee, of course. Let's see. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Do I, do I dare? Nah. I'll, I'll leave the hardcore news for next week but I've got in my hand here my, my not nicotine stained hands let's see the 20 last minute gifts you can buy at a 24 Walgreens to sweep your wife off of her feet it's that time of year man it's a time to gather up all the love and appreciation you feel for your wife all year long and make that last minute trip to Walgreens down on the corner to buy her the perfect Christmas gift. Not sure what to get her to accurately express your two true feelings? The Babylon Bee is here with the following list of perfect gifts you can find right here in the 24 drugstore aisles. Number one. Bunion cream. Oh, that'll flip her lid, huh? Let's see. Number two is a cool toy Camaro. <laughs> if she's disappointed at first, show her how if you pull it back, it winds itself up and shoots forward fast. 
Right. Uh, coffee is good. Lottery ticket. There's a zero point zero 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 one percent chance this would be the greatest gift she's ever received. Oh, and did you know that it's like up to $650 million now? So who knows? Maybe that will turn out to be a good a good bet. You don't know. <laughs> Down at Walgreens. Combination flashlight, radio, waffle iron. Three gifts in one. She'll love your efficiency. <laughs> Rapid COVID-19 test. Democrats only. Six. Every single item you can scoop off the shelf and fit into your large cloth bag before running out the door. California residents only. Hey, you don't have to pay for it then. <laughs> Xanax. This will help calm her down after she finds out you only got her Xanax. <laughs> and XXL. Happy 4th of July sweatshirt. <laughs> She'll really appreciate her thriftiness in buying something on clearance. Mm-hmm. Pregnancy tests. <laughs> oh, wives love taking these. Mm-hmm. 18-ounce bag of flaming hot funyuns. <laughs> the gift that keeps on giving long after they're eaten. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and you love stinky breath, too. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Expired jug of whole milk. <laughs> it's totally fine as long as she drinks it today. <laughs> Probably. Halloween Oreos. A perfect gift to go along with the jug of expired milk. <laughs> 28 pack of hearing aid <laughs> batteries. <laughs> this will show her you're thinking about a long term future with her. <laughs> Down to five minutes now. A bottle of 1,000 multivitamins. A great way to show her you love her and that you've noticed she needs some more energy during the day. Mm. Oh, yeah. That'll win her love. Someone else's family pictures you swipe from the photo lab. She can use them to fill all those empty picture frames that she keeps in the basement. Yeah, where you'll be sleeping tonight. Walgreens ballpoint pen. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, this is the big one right here. This will really win her over. A tin of wintergreen skull. Wintergreen, you know, that, that adds that little bit of flavor to that pinch between your cheek and gums. <laughs> the perfect flavor of chaw for the season. A necklace made from spent shell casings from the sidewalk outside the store. Handmade gifts are always the best. Yeah, yeah especially if you're in a downtown location. Oh, here we go. Old lady reading glasses with a long neck chain. <laughs> a gift that only gets better as time passes. Oh, and 20 to listen to this one. A bottle of perfume that might convince her you went somewhere other than Walgreens. <laughs> you won't even have to wait in line at the <laughs> at the uh, cosmetics counter. Okay, there you go. What else do we have? Oh, oh, oh! I've, I've 
I do, I do need to read the, um, let's see, I've got three minutes left. Did you hear that Hulk Hogan got baptized? He's become a born-again Christian. Oh, that's, and um, oh, I, I don't have the original article. Total surrender. Yep, yes, I do. And dedication to Jesus. Watch Hulk Hogan get baptized in Florida. Uh, former WWE and reality star Hulk Hogan dedicated his life to Christ recently in Florida. An Instagram post from Hogan shows him being dipped in water at an Indian Rocks Baptist Church in Largo. The video shows his wife, Sky Daly, also being baptized. The duo is, is both wearing white and Hogan is sporting a cross uh, chain as well. Let's see, although Hulk Hogan retired from wrestling in 2012, the superstar still appears to be in shape as he sports his muscles on Instagram. Well, the Babylon Bee had more of the story. Pastor baptizes Hulk, but oh no, Hulk's pulled off the reversal and body slammed him into the pews. In a stunning act of humility, the retired wrestler and two-time WWE Hall of Fame and Dr. Hulk Hogan went forward during the altar call at Indian Rocks Baptist Church to be baptized. But oh no, he pulled off the reversal and body slammed the pastor. No one could survive that. (laughs) Oh well, on that note, Merry Christmas. Talk to you next week. Listening to Dunn's Deal with author James Dunn. Join James every Friday at 6.05 for a unique perspective on today's issues. But for now, this is a Dunn Deal. WNRI, one socket.